chapter 3. We're going to read a little bit. I'm never going to be able to read the entire book to you, but I'm going to read large sections of it. So, Father God, I just want to pray. Lord, as we open up the word of God right before us, I just want to say thank you. Like Anthony had said, where else are we going to go? You know, you have the words of life. You know, you speak them into us, and you produce these things. You're the one who creates. You're the one who provides. You're the one who secures it over and over. Apart from you, there's nothing. And if we had everything apart from you, what's the point? What's the point? Lord God, we need you to reveal yourself. We need for you to grow in us until there's this point to where it's no longer a separation. So you literally take over. So I'm asking you to do that, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. So 3-1, we're going to start there. So now we remember where Moses was at. The people, are, the, the people are oppressed, right? They started out as partners. Things change in the nation. God wants them to come out. And then uh, there's harsh treatment. They, they go from partners, and they really were partners until they became slaves. And I told you that there was a serious warning for us. The world wants to promise us partnership. But the reality is, is it offers us partnership on one hand and slavery in the other. Jesus says, I will be your provider, not your job. I want you to trust in me, so I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to pull you out. So they pull out. Well, um, before that happens, God wants to raise up Moses. So here's where we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro, father-in-law Jethro. It was his father-in-law. He was the priest of Midian, who are uh, essentially Saudi Arabians. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, which is actually the other side of Mount Sinai, to the mountain of God, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him, listen, in the flames of fire from within a burning bush. Moses saw through the bush that it was on fire, but it did not burn it up. This is a huge point. We're going to look at the implications. So Moses thought, I will go over there, and I will see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called him from a distance and with, uh, from within the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. This is another important, important aspect of God's personality and his character. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing on is holy ground. And then he said, I am the Lord God of your father. Uh, I, am, I, am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That's one of the craziest things that I have always saw. Whenever anyone comes into the presence of God, they're automatically like overwhelmed by this idea. I'm in big trouble. You know, I think we like to have this comfortable idea that if we saw God, we would want to rush into his, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here, you want to hug him. The fact of the matter is the Bible shows me over and over and over when you see God, you're like, oh my gosh, I better, I'm in big trouble right now. I'm in big trouble. And this kind of shows us some stuff, and we're going to look at all of it. The Lord said, I have seen, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. I have come down. Listen, I have come down. 
didn't just send a messenger. He didn't just send an emissary. He didn't just send a missionary. He says, I have come down. Okay? So that tells us another thing. So I have come down so that I, I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious place, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry, uh, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Jesus. We all know the rest of this story, I mean, to a certain extent, and there's some details that we're going to be keep looking at. Because Moses is standing in the presence of God, and because Moses is very much human, he doubts God. How many know what I'm talking about, right? You stand in the presence of God, you know God, God has revealed himself to you, and still you're like, I believe, but. I was just telling my brother and sister over here that, man, I'm telling you, I've done that far too many times. And one of the things that I want us to do is to pray with that in mind. Lord God, I believe, but what? Help me in my unbelief. That's a prayer that God really, truly listens to. He's like, this tells me two things. Okay, you've got a view of who I am. You're willing to accept my revelation, but you also know who you are. All right, before we start up, I want you guys to write down these things. If you're writing notes, if you don't write notes, start writing notes. You got to write notes. You know why? Because they're, if you keep that notebook around, you're going to come back around. You're going to come back around, and they're going to make an impact on you. When I read the Bible, there are two things, prim primary things, that should, I should be taking notice of. And the first one is this. I learn about who God is. One of the wrong ways of reading this Bible is to look at it as if it is about me. It isn't about me primarily. It is about him. It is about him. And only when it becomes about him or is about him, it shines a light in such a way that I can really see me. That's an important piece. There's a very growing way of teaching the Bible that in my opinion, it, it's not a criticism, is close to those who itch the ear. And I'm going to tell you something. When we make the Bible, when we make the study of God about us, what we do is we remove from it the power of saving it. So the second thing is, I see, when I read the Bible, about human beings and behaviors. There are certain things about us, even though we love to think that we're very individual, and we are, there's a lot of things about you and I that are very much similar to one another, isn't it? And I think one of the big things that's always caused a problem in my life is like, well, you don't understand. Well, I don't know. I've gone to a lot of uh, Celebrate Recovery and AA meetings, and you know one of the things that came across to me right off the bat was, wow, this seems to be my story coming out of another mouth. You know, so I just want to say this. God shows us the reality of humanity. Here's another thing. Once those two things happen, is there an example for us to follow or is there an example for us to avoid? And in this book, there is both. Third, fourth thing, is there a sin that is prevalent that we need to resist? 
Because that's what repentance is. And we've been called to a life of repentance where I resist my temptation to sin. Does anyone feel temptation to sin? I do all the time. And sometimes it doesn't even look like sin. But I somehow know it is sin. The fifth thing is, is there a command that God says for us to obey? Or is there a promise for us to hold on to? Write down those things so that when you're reading, you could go, this is clearly what God is saying. Let me just, I don't, I, I have a tendency to kind of go off. But I was doing this, writing down my points that I was going through First Samuel. And there was this point where Hannah, this woman Hannah, she doesn't have a kid. She loves her husband, Elkanah. They have this wonderful, beautiful relationship. But because she can't have a child and she's starting to get older in age, she has to marry a younger woman um, named Pariah. And Pariah, she has the baby, right? So because Elkanah loves Hannah, but Pariah has the baby, there's animosity between the two women. So every year, Hannah is heartbroken. Every year, she comes down month after month after month to the temple, and she offers these prayers and worships, and she's like, God, I don't have a baby. I'm brokenhearted. Where are you? And the husband brings these sacrifices, and you know what he said to her? He goes, honey, I know you're hurting, and I know you want a child, but isn't my love for you worth 10 children? And you know what? I wrote that down for some reason. Didn't know why I wrote down. I was like, God's telling me something there. Two weeks later, two weeks later, I feel God saying, look at those notes again. So I go back to look at them, and he says, how many times have you said, I need this, or I need that, or if I don't get this, then somehow my life's not going to be good. And I could tell you, they don't always look like bad things. Sometimes they look like very good and pleasing and prosperous things. And he goes, is not my love worth 10 children to him, honey? And you know what I said? Right there, I remember I confessed. And I said to him, Lord, you're right. Your love is worth all these things. I can have all those things, but if I don't have your love, what's the point? What is the point of it all? So I want you to do this as you're reading your Bible, and I'm hoping that you're reading your Bible every day. Once again, write down notes when you hear any teacher, because guess what? Pastors can be wrong. Here's another thing. I really don't want us as a congregation to go, I, I do this or I do that or I don't believe in this and I do believe in that. Well, why? Because my pastor said so. Don't say that. What if your pastor's an idiot? I'm, I'm just saying, I, 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 I don't want to say I'm an idiot, but sometimes I make mistakes. Anyone else with me on this? So I want you to hear it from the source. So once that happens, guess what? When someone wants to argue with you about why you're doing something, you've already settled it. You've already settled it. It's not like someone else told me and now I'm going to do it. No, no, no. The one who created you has confirmed it in you and you will never, ever depart from it. You still may struggle with it, but you'll never depart from it. All right, so let's go back. I want you to remember that this is a wonderful story about God's majesty. We see his glory. We see his beauty. We see how sovereign he is and how strong he is. Last week, man, all I could think of was like God is in control of everything. When I went to go preach at Norwich, I had to do two things. I had a family who literally lost someone 
28 years old, loved member of the family because they had a brain tumor. The brain tumor killed them. And then on the other hand, I had to, um, I had to anoint and christen a baby that was brand new to a congregation. And I saw the two, and then I had to preach the message. And I was like, I had 15 people here who were looking for answers. And then I had other people who were here that were looking for God to, to give them purpose. And, and I'm like, how am I going to do that? Strangely enough, in that sovereignty of God, I saw him do it. I saw him do it. And you know what? When I walked out of here last week, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm like, oh, man, I'm pumped up. Man, I'm pumped up because you're pumped up. Last week, you were asleep. And I walked out, and I, my stomach was sick. I'm like, oh, I didn't come across. Oh, my God, what's going on? And you know what he told me? Wait, and you will see. Wait, and you will see. You know what that told me? He's in, don't preach about God being in control and then think you are. And that's what I did. It's not about you. It was about my relationship with him. He's like, listen, I give you the words that you preach. They're not yours. They're mine. You can't go and talk to them about something that I reveal to you and then live differently in those things. You understand what I'm saying? So let's go back. This is a wonderful, beautiful illustration of who God is and how glorious he is and how much we can trust him. But it is a warning. And here's the warning. God did all these things, listen, and not one of the people who he delivered entered the promised land. Remember what God said to Samuel? In the day I delivered these people, they never wanted me as a king over them. See, if I just tell you all the glorious parts, I'm itching your ear. But if I tell you the glory in the light of the warning, that's when there's transformation. That's when there's light. So I want to say this. Israel lived in a general distrust toward God. Pay attention to these examples. They were regularly half-hearted in their attitude toward God. Pay attention to that example. They found it easy to give God leftovers. Pay attention to that example. They never, ever fought against any compulsive tendencies in their life to look for pleasure and fulfillment in hundreds of other faces instead of him. You want to read the saddest book in the Bible? It's Jeremiah. He literally is writing the book as a husband who has had to watch his wife cheat on him with a hundred different lovers. He is gut hurt. And he's angry. And he's like, you have done this to me again and again and again. And I have brought you back. I have loved you. I have provided for you. You want to go? I'm going to let you go. But we're not done. We're not done. Because I'm not a husband like an earthly husband. And when he's done, he's done because he's hurt. I'm going to let you go in such a way that when you finally come to the end of yourself, then, then you will know my in a full way. And I'm telling you, man, you want to read something that breaks your heart, you, you read how God is. And sometimes we think to ourselves, well, God doesn't feel these things. No, I tell you, he does feel these things. The Bible tells me something quite different about God. He feels intensely. If you and I feel something, it's because we were created in God's image. We're the ones who distort the feelings. He has perfect feelings, perfect emotions. 
So I want to say this. One of the things, as I look back and I see this, how this relates to you and I, is that I believe one of the things that must come to life and does come to life in the heart of those who are converted, and that's a big word, it's conversion. That means God comes to me, opens things up, awakens things, and then I respond. It's not the other way around. God converts us or we are not saved. I, I, I got to tell you the truth. I'm obliged. I cannot say that I love you if I don't. So the first thing that I believe that comes to life when a heart is converted is an overwhelming need for God as he reveals himself to be and not as I want him. I remember when this happened. It wasn't at the Promise Keepers. It started way before. My friend called me at about 9.30. I was just freshly sober. I realized when I stopped drinking, I was bonk. I was bonkers. I was crazy, absolutely crazy. I was depressed half the time. I was violently rageful the other half the time. I felt like either I have to run away from my wife and my kids or I'm going to kill somebody. I literally did. My friend calls me up, Bobby Burns. He goes, look, I want you to read. I want to read this to you. He reads the 51st Psalm. That was the very first time when I heard God's voice. I remember it. To this day, that's my favorite psalm in the Bible. And it's David pouring out his heart. And he's like, God, forgive me. Forgive me for my transgressions. Forgive me for my, for, 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 for my willingness to be a rebel. And forgive me, now get this, he says, iniquity. Forgive me for my iniquity. Wash it out. You know what that word means? As David looked at himself, he saw that there was something deeply flawed in his heart. That even if he tried to go against it, it was so broken, it would prevent him from being God's friend. And you know what? Man, I'm telling you, it was like spiritual lightning. Boom! I'm like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong in me. And you know what the next thought was? I need him before anything else. And that's when things started to change in my life. Can I tell you something? For us, we need to remember those things. We need to drill them back into our mind. I need you before I need anything. Okay, let's keep going on. Israel didn't enter into the promised land because what they wanted is very human. They wanted to worship the real God because he was the real God. What's the point of worshiping a fake God, right? But they wanted to worship him in a pagan way. Let me explain. They were willing to give loyalty and service and allegiance to someone that has power to make their life successful or blessed. But they wanted a God who allowed them to keep full ownership rights without too much cost. You two don't, <laughs> not with God. I'm just here to tell you, those two don't work. He takes us where we are. He takes us as we are, broken, but make no mistake, when you're in a relationship with him, he wages war against that insistence to have God the way I want him. So get this, get this into your heart, get this into your, as we're going through this, say to yourself, man, God is after my rebellious independence, okay? Sadly, and I want to say this, and I'm not going to stay too long on this, 
that is a very pervasive attitude in the church in the United States. I'm not saying that it's true of everyone who's a believer, but there's many. And it is my belief that the day of judgment for the church here is on its way. Next year, not going to give specifics because I don't know specifics, things are going to change one way or the other. And I'm going to tell you something. The person that's walking this road is going to be swept away. And I don't care how much or how long they've been professing Christ. And that's what the Bible shows me. I mean, I'm not just making this up. So I want you to understand that in Exodus chapter 3, God reveals to us that he is a God who calls his people to leave and to follow. They are two sides of the same coin. I cannot just be taken out from the danger and consequence of sin if I don't want to live in the prosperity of salvation. You get it? Two sides of the same coin. And I have to remind myself of that. You know why? Because I want God to be okay with just forgiving me sometimes. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Man, I want to hear from you. You know why? This is a joint exercise. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him in us. That means I want to encourage you, and I want you to encourage me. And when dead people come in and they see that, they'll say, wait a minute. That's life. That's what life is. So listen, let me give you a couple ways that he's done it that I've seen. Moses, he says, Moses, I want you to leave your ideas on how you will allow me to use you. How did Moses get into the, de- to the desert? I'll tell you how. He was a person of influence. He was a person of status. He had wealth. He had, he had steam, like I'd say in Chicago. That guy's got some steam. He's got some clout. What does he do? Here's God calling. He's like, I want to save my people. Moses is like, so you're calling me? And God is like, yeah, I'm calling you. So he goes, okay, God, I got this. You just kind of sit over there and I'll take care of it. Goes out, right? And he says, hey, hey, stop beating up that, that, that Jewish uh, person right there. And the guy goes, I'm not listening to you. What does he do? Strikes him, beats him, kills him, and then buries him, right? Now the next day, he thinks he's kind of through. He's like, okay, well, maybe this is the way God's using me. Then he sees two Jewish fellas fighting. And he goes, come on, brothers, let's not do this. Let's, 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 let's remember we're brothers together. And you know what they say to him? Who are you? you to tell us anything are you gonna kill us like you kill that other guy and moses was like "Uh oh <laughs> wait maybe this isn't gonna go the way i think it's gonna go so what does he do he hightails it out he runs away because he realizes he's not going to dictate to god how god is going to use him that's another huge aspect of my life you know and the more things i have in my hand i'm just saying Remember the rich young ruler. The more things I have in my hand, the more tendency I will have to dictate how God will use me. God, I got this. And if you want me to do that, that means I got to let go of this. You know, I'm just saying. You know, I want us to be a people who are willing to be generous to God, even if he doesn't give me a good house. You know why? Because I want him to convince me, and it's not happened yet. That money may offer me temporary security, but it's not my ultimate security. 
And it's not just about money. It's one of millions of other aspects of life. Amen? All right, so let's keep looking. John and Andrew, first apostles. They're the first followers of Christ. But did you know they weren't actually Jesus' apostles at first? They were John the Baptist's apostles. Why did they go to John the Baptist? I'll tell you why. Because Rome and Israel were so corruptive and so oppressive, taxation at that point was 53 to 57%. So they're like, why am I working? For what? What's the point? Where is their future? Do you ever, I mean, I, maybe I pay attention to the news too much. But I think to myself, what's the point? You know, I think to myself, man, you're trying to take everything. Is it just me or no? No, I'm telling you. And you know what? When those things happened, John and Andrew went looking for answers. So they go to John the Baptist. They're like, hey, give us answers. John's like, wait, wait, the answer's going to show up. Jesus shows up. He goes, hey, you guys been waiting for the answer? That's the answer. He's the answer. Notice what I said. He isn't the one who will show you the answer. He is the answer. And they hear and they say, you know, maybe there's something to this. And they say, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus goes, what is it that you want? And they said, the greatest thing you could ever say, we just want to be with you. Tell us where you're at. And he goes, come, follow me. And can I tell you something? Everything changed for John and Andrew. And can I also say this? Everything around them changed. You want to make an impact in your family? You want to make an impact in the place where God has planted you? Go to God and say, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to feel you. And I'm going to stay here until you give me everything. Do you know that it says in Ephesians that he has blessed us in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms with every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? That means everything that matters beyond this cursed world that's fading away is in him. Never to be taken away. And guess what? When you believe and you put your trust in him and you believe that he has purchased you with his life, it is yours and no one can take it from you. So John and James, he says this, leave behind your trying to find ultimate fulfillment in a fading world and find satisfaction in me. You're going to struggle with this one. You think you're going to get this one overnight? You ain't. You are going to have to fight it. You are going to have to see. There's a million things that want to tell me they're ultimate things. Man, things pop up in my life that I didn't even know existed that try to tell me there's ultimate things. I don't know. I got to be very careful. Sometimes I talk too much. My wife's like, you got to stop talking. People are listening to you. I go, Nobody listens to me. But I'm telling you, things pop open. There are relationships that I think I need to have. And if I don't have those, man, my life's bad. And God's like, get rid of me. That's why I was heartbroken last week. I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't come across. They weren't smiling and raising their hands and going hallelujah. And he's like, did you say what I told you to say? And I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, then I'm enough. Find your satisfaction in me. I remember one when I first started this, I was asked deliberately in my spirit, will you be the main shepherd of a location if I only give you 25 people to follow? And I'd love to tell you, I said, oh, of course, Lord. But I didn't. I was like, 
Well, if I have to, I'll be heartbroken, though. That's exactly what I said. And you know what? When we hear of testing, it's a funny thing. We think of testing in the terms of school. For all you teachers, no offense. We think of when you get a test, it's to pass or fail. I want to know if you pass or fail. If God knows all things, then he doesn't know if we're going to pass or fail a test, right? Are we in agreement? So testing means something different for him, for him because he sees the end from the beginning. He knows what he's making us into. So when he tests us, he tests us like an engineer. He's building strength, eternal strength in us. And he's like, you're weak at this point, so I'm going to go at it. We always love to say this. Well, you ask for God for patience, and he puts people into your life to test your patience. Yes, because he's building eternal patience like his. We could go on and on, but that's a sermon for another day. Peter, remember Peter? Love Peter. I love Peter. My friend Santos would say I love Peter because he knew how to box. And I love Peter. But man, he would screw up a lot. And that makes me feel good. You know? What does he say to Peter? I want you to, listen, I want you to leave behind your addiction to being your own source of security and significance. And I want you to let me be your Lord. Salvation isn't just about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness and allowing him to lead you. Let's keep moving forward. James, I love James. We don't hear too much about him. But when Jesus called James out, what did he call James from? I want you to let down the nets of your father's boats. And I want you to walk away from your family. Now, I'm not saying he walked away from his family because that's not clearly what he was saying. There was a tradition that James felt obligated to follow. He was like, you have to make me your preeminent relationship because if it's always contingent on someone else, there's always going to be tension and you're not going to grow together. Does that make sense? So he's like, I want you to come with me. All those things that you think you're going to do, what did you, he gave a great thing today. Peter, it's like, where are we going to go? And he goes, we've given everything away. And Jesus said this, he said, if you choose to trust in me, you will not fail to have hundreds, even a thousand fold what you have given back up to me. What does that mean? Is this a business deal? No, no, no. He was saying, man, we've lost family. We've lost friends. We've lost influence. And he goes, man, you lost maybe brothers and sisters because they depart from you. But now you've received a family that is without number. Do you know why people don't in the church, at least here, don't, can never say that? Because they may come to church, but they're not part of the family. Come, go, punch in, punch out. Got to be Lord or you don't get the blessing. You don't get the land flowing with milk and honey. Let's look at the last one. What does he call Paul out from? He says, Paul, I want you to leave behind your need to achieve and to grab hold of success. Why? Because you're always looking to be your own savior. What I want from you is to be your greatest boast. You know what? I love what Job said. Torn apart, broken, 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 broken. 
He lost his family. He lost his possessions. He lost his land. And it's his, his wife's watching him. And she's just saying, hey, man, why don't you just kind of like curse God and kill yourself or let yourself die? Kind of be. Why? Was she a bad wife? No, I just think she was like this guy suffering. Man, just end it all. And he said, the Lord is the one who gave and he's the one who can take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says to his wife, can I praise him when things are good and not praise him when things are bad? And then it says this is a, a, a title over all of it. He says, and in all these things, I mean, he mourns. He puts dirt on his head, rips his clothes, shaves himself. There's this idea in Christianity where if you have real faith, you never show emotion. Where does it say that? You get hurt, you're supposed to Look like you got hurt. But he doesn't want you to talk with someone else about the pain before you talk with him. Because only he's got the answers. They're the only ones who have okay advice. You know? In all these things, Job did not sin. All right, let's keep moving. This is it. This is to seek first the kingdom of God. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, If I am to boast in anything, let me boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. For because of this, the world has been crucified to me and I to it. This was 20, I would say, 22 years of Paul being in the faith. Paul excelled, man. Paul had a special uh, anointing on his life. I'm still learning it, but you probably will agree with me. Jesus is our greatest boast. Whether things are good or things are bad, you know who will never leave you? Him. He's proven it time and time again. And because he has proven to me he is worth more than anything else when I'm tempted to grab hold of something because I think I need it and it's not his will, he says, no, I am what you need, not that. Because, now listen, here's, you think to yourself, well, God's being kind of stingy. No, if I have this apart from that oneness with God, I won't get from this what it's intended to give me. You understand what I mean? When I love God as my primary source because he's revealed he loves me, I can love my family the way I'm supposed to love them. If I love my family the way my natural inclination is, I love them in order to get something out of them. You're like, no, no, that's not me. That's not me. It is you in your human form. Just let someone in your family that you love reject you. And take all the benefit of being in a relationship with you and let them turn their back on you and see what you do. But guess what? When Jesus becomes my number one love, does it hurt when these things happen? But now I can look at it with a different way. When I love someone, it's with no expectation. And I love them freely as an offering to God, something that's pleasing and beneficial to the people that I'm loving. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, let's keep moving on. Once again, man, I got 35 pages of notes and only a half hour to give it. All right. So remember this. Moses, God calls Moses and all of his children. Who's a child of God here? Who's a child of God here? Stop. Are you or aren't you? You know what? Sometimes you're good, sometimes you're bad, but either you're in or you're out. Are you in? Are you in? 
calls all of his children out and he calls them to. Moses was forced into the desert. Why was he forced into the desert? This is the first thing. Because God doesn't want to be one of many options in your life. He wants to be the primary option in your life. God wants to be our sole influence. Okay? God removes Moses' political possessions. He removes his educational skill and his talent and makes them irrelevant. He takes away his considerable wealth because Moses thought, well, I have wealth and wealth makes things happen, doesn't it? Yeah, but not the way God wants it to happen. So he wanted to be exclusive with Moses. God introduces himself, number two. God introduces himself to Moses. Moses isn't looking for God. God is always pursuing me. Open your eyes. Pray that you can see where he pursues you. This is a difficult situation. I can't find you in this. Ask God to open your eyes to see him pursue you. Do you think he only pursues you when things are good? No, that he would have got Moses in Egypt. He gets him in the desert. Man, everything's lost. There's no hope for Moses in the desert. And he's like, that's where I wanted to get you. Are you in a difficult relationship? God wants to meet you there. Are you in a difficult situation at work? God wants to meet you there. Sometimes he wants to meet you just by demonstrating to you that he has the power to make you sustained outside your own strength. So that you will one day look back and go, man, if it wasn't for you, I would have gave up. Amen? Amen? So remember this. Remember these things. Next thing. God appears to Moses within a burning bush. This shows us a lot. First thing it shows us is that fire is dangerous, right? Nobody with half a brain ever gets close to fire, right? Why? Kill you. I think that sometimes it's very comforting and foolish for us to think that God is not dangerous. So God's a God of grace. Oh, oh yeah. God is a God of patience. Yep, absolutely. God is a God of goodness. Yep, yep, yep. But God is a dangerous person. And we have to treat him with respect. And I'm not just talking about lip respect. I'm talking about walk respect. What did he say to Moses? Take your shoes off, right? Don't come close. You come close to me in the wrong way, you're going to get hurt. And Moses takes his shoes off. Why? What was the deal with the shoes? Some people say, well, Middle Eastern says it's a dirty thing. I don't think that's it. I think he took Moses' shoes off because then Moses had to watch how he was walking. Because there's things on the floor in the desert that's going to stab his foot. He could step on a cactus. Or he could stub his toe on a rock. I think God is revealing to me and you today to pay attention how you walk. God bless you. So remember that. Here's the next thing and the last thing as these guys start to play. I still got two minutes. Don't cheat me. His fire engulfs the bush, but it does not consume the bush. One of the things that prevents us from giving over to him is we fear, if I give him everything, I'll have nothing. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Man, there's no good thing. If I give it over, it's all sour. It's like eating lemons. and No joy. He says, no, I have life for you in abundance. Abundance. The word abundance means I will overflow in you in such a way 
that others will be blessed by what I do in you. Trust him in this. Trust him in this. Well, I can't give you my time. You can start playing now. They're waiting. Yeah. You guys can play. As we stand up, when he says, I am, he means this. This is what it means. He says, I am your provision. He's not saying that I will bring your provision or I will be your supplier of provision, but I am your provision. No other thing matters if I am not your provision. I want you to understand that we can trust him as a shepherd who leads us to good places for our lives to be nourished. He's the one who takes us to waters where we can drink and be healed and refreshed. He brings us to places where we can nourish on grass that's going to bring health to ourselves and in such a way that everyone who's connected to us is benefited. God says, trust me in this. See if I'm lying to you. That's not a test. It's part of our human inclination. You think he doesn't know who you are? But he's called you in spite of it. God commended his love in this, that while sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, he is your healing. He is your victory. He is the rock of your stability. And he is your sureness. God is your peace and your hope. So cling to him. Cling to him. Let's worship. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God because all my life and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God all my life and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. With unfailed faces, unfailed faces, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image as he from glory to glory. Father God, I, let's, uh, no, 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 let's hold hands, hold hands. No, 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 we're not doing that. We are one 
And we are going to show the world what it is to live. God is going to live in us, amidst of us. And guess what? He's going to call. He's going to call. This place is filled. And if you think this is the end, you're wrong. This place is going to go to two services. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure when. But he's going to. But you have to be involved. What do you got to do? One thing. Choose a group. You don't go to every group. Go to one group and be committed to it. But I'm busy. So what? What does it matter if you gain the whole world, yet you forfeit your soul? What does he have? Where are we going to go, Lord God? You're the only one with the words of life. Let's pray with one, with one heart and one soul. Father God, you are awesome. Nothing is awesome like you. No one is awesome like you. Lord God, and we confess, we are hard of hearing, we are stubborn at heart. Lord God, we are prone to wander, Lord God. You know who we are. But Lord God, you have given us your very own spirit. And that spirit is alive in us. And he prays for us with unceasing prayer. Father God, I pray that you would win the battle for our hearts. Convince us that you have healed us. We're just waiting for its completion. You are the one who is our provision. And in you we have everything. You, Lord God, are the one who cares and loves for us more than anyone else. And you want to prove it to us over and over, Lord God. I pray that that would be our anthem. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints say. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, running after me. Yeah.